Dear God, we thank you for this time together. Grateful for each person that's here. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work among us. Lord, just guide us as we uh, move forward in our lives. Help us to do what you have called us to do. And nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. To be effective, to advance your kingdom, to bring you honor and glory. Uh, This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin today with something a little goofy, but it's a memory I have as a child uh, watching a television show. Um, It's I Love Lucy, and this particular scene is Lucy and her and her friend Ethel are working in a candy factory, and so let's just let's just watch the scene as they deal with um, li- what life is throwing at them. All right, girls. Now this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped, you're fired. Yes, ma'am. Let her roll. <laughs> Now, I know that's ridiculous, um, and of course, I'm dating myself by even acknowledging that uh, I watched it as a kid. Uh, it was already reruns, and I actually think I saw it in black and white, uh, honestly. It was, it was still rerunning in that way. But I wanted to show that because that's, I think sometimes our life feels that way, right? Don't we have moments where it just keeps coming at you? Maybe it's the demands of family. Maybe you own your own business, and it feels like it owns you. Um, and you're just juggling all these different things. And so I want us to look today and think today about um, how do we walk out the life that God has called us to in a culture of busyness and hurry and overload, in a culture that's default setting is hurry. How do we walk this out? How do we do this? Notice in the, in the clip, their reward, when it looks like you're pulling it off, the reward was speed it up. You know, the boss says, oh, it's okay, it's working. Here, let's have you do more or whatever. And so I want us to step back from our culture of exhaustion and hurry and think about how can we live differently. 
used to watch a, a show called Star Trek, and in that they had warp speed, and you had to kind of brace yourself, and then they would go incredibly fast for a short period of time. We have a tendency to try to live at warp speed. Now, there are times where you really do have to step it up. There are seasons in life. Maybe you're a, a tax accountant, and you know tax season's going to be challenging. Maybe you're in construction, and the summer you have to put in a lot longer hours. There are seasons where you have to really step it up. But understand we can't live at warp speed all the time. God did not design us with that in mind. He wants us to have a rhythm of work and rest. I think it's interesting that, you know, Labor Day weekend, so we celebrate work and labor by hitting pause, by taking a day off, by spending some time with family. See, our culture wants to accelerate our pace of life. Um, it extends our work days. I was reading that the average worker today works four more weeks than um, the average worker in 1979. That's a lot more time. I was reading, you know, technology changes us. Technology changes how we do life. I was reading that before the light bulb was invented, people typically slept, the average person slept about eight hours, or excuse me, 11 hours a night. Now, when was the last time you slept 11 hours at night? Things have changed. And so the culture and the technology and all that happens, you know, technology kind of blurs uh, work and home life. It kind of just puts it all together. We watch television shows and we see, maybe you watch a crime show and, and all the characters are single because they work all the time and their family becomes their co-workers. We just see this, this kind of uh, just treadmill or the little hamster wheel where people continue to run. It was interesting, Carrie Newoff, um, who's a author and a leader, back in 2006, he kind of crashed. He had really just a real season of burnout. And he said this, he said, if you don't declare a finish line to your work, your body will. Eventually, your body will hit pause in some way. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, Mary and Martha are sisters, and Jesus shows up for dinner. Now, when Jesus shows up, it's not just Jesus. It's a whole group. It's all these men that come with him and others. And so Martha is frantically running around. She's trying to make sure it all works, that the dinner party goes well. And then she gets frustrated because she looks over and there's her sister Mary. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in every word that he has to say. And Martha's frustrated. She goes to Jesus, please, you know, get my sister to help me out. And Jesus basically rebukes her and says, look, um, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Now, I'll be perfectly honest. I don't like that story. Why do you think that is? Because I lean in my personality towards Martha that doer, that action person, that high pace. We need to understand that we live in a culture where most addictions, we look down on them, but workaholism, that'll get you attaboys. That'll get you awards. That'll get you promotions. That will give you, get you raises. And so as we face this tsunami of busyness that many of us face, not everybody, but many, 
How do we walk that out? And I think that God offers us wisdom to live differently. It is so crucial that we keep in mind that Jesus was busy, Jesus accomplished a lot, but he wasn't in a hurry. John Ortberg talks about going to his mentor, Dallas Willard, and he, he just asked him for, he said, I just need some, some guidance, some wisdom. Uh, I was feeling a little overwhelmed in his life and wanted to grow spiritually. And Dallas Willard said this, he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Ortberg wrote that down. He said, that's really good. What, what else? And Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's what I have for you. But that is profound. And we see in Jesus that he walked through life and did what God called him to do and was able to say no to other things. So how we do this is we live with focus. We clarify calling. Jesus would have opportunities where they would, the crowds would want to make him a political king and Jesus would say, no way, not going to do that. He'd get away from the crowd because he came to die and offer his sinless life on a cross for us, for our sins, so we could be forgiven and set free and then rise from the dead to prove that it was true, to prove that that sacrifice worked. And so he walked out He lived with focus. He walked out his specific purpose and calling. We tend to let our days just kind of get away from us and not be intentional. And one help is to discern, one way to help us discern our purpose and how to prioritize things better is to kind of roll the tape forward in our lives. At the end of our lives, what are we going to think? Put yourself, you know, right there towards the end, maybe even the deathbed. And and if you could just put yourself in that moment, in a time of reflection and thought, and if you could finish the sentence, I wish I had spent more time blank. What would you say? I wish I had spent more time blank. And I don't know what that answer would be for you, but I think you should wrestle with that and think about that. We cannot do anything everything, but we can do what God has called us to do. He has equipped us. He has given us a specific assignment in life, and it may shift from season to season, but he gives us these assignments, and we're to walk those out. We are to ask ourselves, how, uh, one author said it this way, how would Jesus live if he were you? If he had your gifts, if he had your opportunities, if he had your abilities, How would Jesus live if he were you? You see, we do have unique callings. We do walk things out differently. When you go through the scripture, you see lots of this. You see Noah was called to build an ark. That was a very unique calling. We see Abraham was called to father a nation. We see Moses was called to lead Israel from slavery in Egypt to freedom and to write the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He had that specific calling. One that I think is interesting that a lot of people miss in the timeline is Bezael. Bezael, you can read about him in Exodus chapter 31, and he was a craftsman, and he was to work on the tabernacle. Um, In in my memory, it's the first time we see in Scripture uh, that a person is filled with the Spirit of God. And 
it wasn't to be a priest or a preacher or a prophet. He was to be a craftsman and to work on God's tabernacle. And so we see him filling, fulfilling his unique and specific calling. David was called to write the prayer book of Israel. We call it the Psalms and to expand Israel's borders. He wanted to build God's temple, and that's when God said no. He, he was veering off his specific calling in life. God said, no, you don't get to build the temple. You can get the supplies together. You can do preparation, but your son Solomon will take care of that. Daniel, if you roll the tape of history forward, Daniel was to be light in a dark and pagan culture when Israel was in exile in a pagan land. We see in the New Testament that the Apostle Peter was to share the gospel for the first time with the Gentiles at the home of Cornelius. And we see this incredible Pentecost for the Gentiles. And we see the, the message of the cross goes outward. We see the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, his calling was to plant churches all around the Mediterranean. His calling was to write much of the New Testament and so we are to ask this clarifying, these clarifying questions. Um, what am I best at? What spiritual gifts has God given me? What is God calling me to do with my life? And so these are really important questions that we're supposed to, to think about. Um, and so, you see, God has made us his masterpiece, and there are works that we are specifically supposed to do. You know, I go back to that Ephesians 2.10 a lot, that, that verse that reminds us that we have that specific calling. And so we are to ask ourselves, what matters most in life? And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? I think he gives us a hint, at least, on what matters most, and that is love, to love God and to love others. And so uh, we are to walk out love in whatever God calls us to do whether it's to plan a church, whether it's to start a business, whether it's to have a family, whether it's to invest in grandchildren, whether it's to take in a child that needs to be adopted, whether it's to be a foster parent, we're to walk with love. And love is not speedy. Love walks slowly through a room. Love walks slowly through a life. It comes alongside the hurting person. It listens. It offers the gift of your presence when someone is grieving or hurting. And so we are to make sure that we walk out our unique calling that God has given us. Um, what is your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wrestled with that? Frederick Buchner once said about calling, he said, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Often he takes your passion. Often he takes your gifting. Often he takes what's going to bring you joy and he couples that with a hurt in the world, with a difficulty, with a broken place, and you get to be light and hope in that place. See, being effective is not about doing more stuff. It's about doing the right things that God has called us to do. Now, I'm not a composer. That's not my calling. But if you're a composer, make sure you finish your symphony that God has called you to write. You see, in a sense, God's gift to us is the gospel. 
You know, we can't do, save ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. He gives us the gospel. He gives us this incredible salvation. And then, in a sense, his return on the investment, our gift back to him is us walking out our specific calling, us bringing him honor and glory in a specific way, advancing his kingdom in the way we are called to do it. And the way you do it and the way I do it is going to be different. Maybe you're to be a school teacher and invest in young minds. Maybe you're to start a Bible study in your neighborhood. Maybe you're to walk beside a single mother who needs a little bit of help. So that first idea is to live with focus, to find and clarify God's calling on your life and to walk out that purpose. The second idea when it comes to how do we live differently? How do we not live a life of hurry and overwhelm and busyness? The second is to value rest. Exodus 33, 14 says, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I love that. I will give you rest. That's beautiful. I think ultimately there he was talking about rest in the promised land once there was conquering that was done. But rest is a gift from God. Rest is is being able to step back and say, you know, I don't have to handle all this. God can handle this. And so we should value and cherish this gift of rest from God. One of the ways that God gives rest is through Sabbath, that concept. We see this in the Big Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, we have this uh, commandment about the Sabbath. And it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Now, I don't know if the Lord needed a Sabbath or not. doesn't seem like he would, but he did it. He modeled that for us, that there is a rhythm to life as we are called to create things. Maybe it's works of art. Maybe it's whatever it might be, write a book, create a business. I don't know. But as we do our work, there is a rhythm of rest that's built in. There is to be a Sabbath. And the Old Testament, it was Saturday, and that's what the Jewish people practice. In the New Testament, they shifted that day of rest and worship to Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there's this rhythm to life. It's not just work nonstop all the time, constantly. Now, I don't see this in the text. This is my own imagination. But I want you to think about this. This command I just read to you about the Sabbath, about rest, was given to a people who their entire lives had been slaves. Their parents had been slaves. Their grandparents had been slaves. Their great-grandparents had been slaves. Generations of slaves. And God says to them, you get a day off. You get a day of rest. I don't know about you. I'm visualizing high fives, hugs. Like, really? There's a different way to live? We don't have to live in slavery. And yet so many of us voluntarily step back into that slavery of working seven days a week. 
doing what we think has to be done instead of making some of those hard choices. And so we need to be people that value rest. Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms uh, in the Bible, uh, David wrote it. And in verse 2 and 3, I think it's interesting what he says here. He says of the good shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me. You ever had a, a child that needed a nap? You had to make them? Oh, I don't need a nap. You know, they're, you know, I'm not tired. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Our creator knows we need a rhythm of rest. He leads me beside quiet waters. And my favorite line is the next one. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He refreshes my soul. There are activities, there are, there are things in life that offer you renewal, that offer to restore you, that encourage you. And your list is going to be different than mine. If you've never done it, you might want to take a piece of paper and just write, what fills me up? What restores me? What draws me close to God? You might think about, when do I feel closest to God? What, what can I do? To, maybe it's to go out into nature. And so we need to value rest. It's so crucial. Um, how, do you, how do you step back and hit pause in your family? In our family life, we play a lot of board games. That's, that's one, way, one way that we do that. We kind of rest in that way. We enjoy that. Um, now, our 15-year-old wins a lot now, which is frustrating. But, um, you know, that's, that's a way that we rest. God invites us into work and rest, both. In essence, the concept of Sabbath encourages us, us to hit pause, to hit stop. It is crucial that we not just go, go, go. You might want to take a nature Sabbath. Go spend some time out, outside. This is for a lot of people, you know, they like hunting. They like being out camping. They like to be in the outdoors. Um, I like being out in nature. I love water. Um, had the opportunity. One of the things I did on my sabbatical was I took a few days and uh, somebody let me stay at their cabin at Harding Lake. And I just, just spent time alone and prayed and spent a lot of time on the porch overlooking the lake. And there's something restorative about that. Just spending time in nature with God walking beside the Chena River. Maybe you have a favorite campsite. I don't know. And so maybe a nature Sabbath. They've done studies that just being out in nature uh, makes a difference in people's lives. It rejuvenates physical energy and reduces anxiety and reduces muscle tension and decreases stress hormones. And some of you might be going, you haven't camped with my family. Well, I'm just saying overall. Get out in nature if that's restorative to you, if that renews you. We are all better when we're rested. If you think back to the last time you were a little sharp with your spouse or a little sharp with the kids or coworker, it's usually not when you're well-rested. It's usually when you're running on empty. It's usually when you've just had a shift at the candy store, right? And you're just on edge. We don't do well when we're not rested. Maybe you need a, uh, a digital Sabbath. 
a Sabbath from technology, take a break from social media, take a break from your phone. Uh, I was reading one source, Michael Hyatt, in his book, Free to Focus, he said, researchers asked 1,000 college students across 10 countries to disconnect from their devices for 24 hours, just 24 hours, and the majority could not do it. They couldn't disconnect from the devices for 24 hours. I was reading another source that said that the average person with, you know, with the phone, the iPhone, touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Wow. And so maybe you need a technology Sabbath to step back from some of those things, to have a screen-free month as much as possible, at least when it comes to media and television, those kind of things. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. I think part of, of this is the idea, you know, in Christianity, sometimes uh, if we're not careful, we can get into a performance mentality. And if I just work and do this and I do that, then God will like me better. And I think this is a Sabbath rest that the gospel is a gift and that we are loved. I think about our kids and, and our kids, we, we just loved them. They didn't have to like earn that. There were times when they were little, I'd go in the room and just watch them sleep. And I just, those were sweet moments for me. And, and so there's, we need to have this value of rest. It's a beautiful gift from God and we need to embrace it. The last idea is that we need to have boundaries. We need to embrace boundaries. Um, a story that, that saddens me is the story of Bob Pierce. And Bob Pierce um, is really a case study in you know, kingdom effectiveness, but struggling with boundaries in a big way. He founded World Vision, the world's largest Christian relief and development agency. Today serves more than 100 million people a year, according to the source I read, um, in nearly about, a, about 100 countries. He was very compassionate. He's since passed away. He started by feeding orphan children uh, from the Korean War. He was one of those, he kind of made this phrase popular, he would pray regularly, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And I love that. And it drove him to compassion and to create programs and to come alongside the hurting and the poor. But the stark reality of his life when you go and read his biography, when you go and look at information about him, is that he, the best way we can say it is he neglected his family more realistic is to say he abandoned his family in many ways. He was on another trip. He was always gone. And his wife was with him at this point. And their grown daughter, one of their children, they had three children, called and just said, Dad, I, I really need you. This is an emergency. Please come home. And he refused to go home and see her. Uh, his wife, her mother, did. And she had had um, uh, a suicide attempt and just wanted her dad to try to heal and to try to recover. And when mom got there, the daughter said, I knew he wouldn't come. But he was doing the Lord's work, right? We have to be careful. We have to embrace boundaries. We have to 
narrow down that calling. And if you, ha- if you have a wife and children, that is part of your calling. If you have a husband and children, that's part of your calling. And there are different seasons to that and how all that plays out. But it's so important. He went on, he had real struggles with his other children. Um, there were stretches where he and his wife didn't talk at all in their marriage. There was kind of a last-minute reconciliation before he died. He ended up handing over his ministry world vision because um, as he continued to live a life without healthy boundaries, his temper showed up more and more. And so he ended up resigning from his own organization because of constant conflict with his board. And so we have to be careful that that we don't let service crush Sabbath. We have to find that rhythm, what God has called us to. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So we're allowed to guard things. We're allowed to have boundaries. You, you put up a fence around your backyard so it's clear who mows here and who doesn't mow here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and verse 5 is, is one of my favorite verses when it comes to boundaries and thinking about this. I kind of view everybody as having a, a backpack, and I, I got this from the book Boundaries I read years ago, which probably kept me in the ministry. Um, and everybody has, in a sense, a backpack of their responsibilities, and yet we're called to help people. And so Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So there's that challenge to come alongside the hurting, to help people, to serve people. But then verse 5 is that, that balance, that tension that we have to walk out, for each one should carry their own load. And I love that, that reminder, because some people, particularly those in helping professions like ministry or maybe nursing or teaching or social workers, you know, those kinds of things, you have a tendency, if you're not careful, you look around and you're holding some other people's backpacks and you're carrying things you shouldn't carry. And if you have an addict in your family, often the person who's addicted to something will love to hand you their backpack of responsibility and you can't take it. You have to say no. And so we must embrace boundaries. This is how we allow ourselves to live the fulfilled and beautiful life that God has called us to. And we'll be challenged on this. You'll get out of balance at moments. Author um, and leader Kerry Newoff talks about his son Jordan and his dad um, he said to his, uh, his son Jordan said to him one time when he was a teenager, he said, Dad, why can't you be like normal dads? And Carrie said, what do you mean normal dads? And he goes, you know, normal dads are just around. They're not working all the time. They hang out. They have some time. And Carrie's like, ouch. So he canceled some of his evening meetings and he made sure he was home more often. I love the story James Dobson, a great Christian leader, tells about he was a teenager and he said, I was going off the rails and he said, my father was a pretty famous you know, evangelist among their particular group, I believe they're Nazarenes, and he would speak all over the country and, and he said, my mom called my dad and said, look, 
Um, we're having trouble with James. You've got to come home. And so he canceled two years of meetings and he came home and he found another way to work and be at home and to invest in his son. And his son did not go off the tracks and his son became a great Christian leader because a father was willing to embrace some boundaries and to find a way to live out his calling and to walk beside his son. And so it's important that we embrace the boundaries. And you might be thinking right now, what's a boundary I need to put up? How do I need to walk this out? When do I say yes? When do I say no? Well, one key is, comes from the mouth of Jesus. He talks about counting the cost in Luke chapter 14. He says, look, his illustrations were, before you build a tower, you count the cost. How much is this going to cost before you start it because you don't want it to leave it half done? Or before you go to war, you count the cost. Can I win this war? And so we need to do that. If somebody comes to you and they want you to join their nonprofit board, well, what's that going to cost me in time? How's that going to work? Somebody wants you to coach Little League, uh, hockey, whatever it is, whatever sport, soccer. Well, let me count the cost. Can I make this work? Maybe somebody wants to uh, step into your life and, and even live with you for a time. You know, it's a, a good friend. And you're like, okay, let me, let me think through this. And you have to look at, at the cost. And you have to look at where you are spiritually and financially and emotionally and these kinds of things. And, and okay, can we handle this? Can we do this and move forward? Sometimes we have to embrace boundaries that have to do with people. You may have somebody in your life that's a really difficult person. Well, clearly we are to love them, but what does that look like? How far do we go? How do we walk that out? Even Jesus, one of my favorite stories is found in John chapter 5, this paralyzed man, and Jesus has the ability to just heal him right then and there. But before he does it, he has a conversation that looks a little harsh, and he says to the paralyzed man, do you want to be well? Because sometimes the answer is no. And so we should serve, we should come alongside, we should help, but not if the answer to that question is no. Not if we're going to work harder than the person we're trying to help. And so it's crucial that we have boundaries with people, that we think through this. We have to have boundaries with our time. We only have so much time. Dr. Robert Jeffress said this, life is like a dollar bill. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can only spend it once. For me, the last, I would say, five years, one of the big lessons in life is, yes, we're to say no to sin, obviously, but learning to say no to the good things, to say yes to the best things to what I'm called to, to what you're called to. It's learning our limits. This is how we walk out a healthy life. What is the wise thing to do here is the question we should ask. Lisa Turkhurst has a phrase, she calls it the best yes. And the idea is you say no to other things so that you can give that best yes. So you can walk out with laser-like intensity and focus 
where God has called you and you enforce boundaries so that you can do that. In a hurried, exhausted world, Jesus offers us an invitation, a great invitation to wholeness. In Mark 6.31, in a very busy time of ministry, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. But they were doing kingdom work. And Jesus says, let's step away and I'm going to give you that gift of rest. And so he enforced some boundaries. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, one that I love, come to me, this is Jesus speaking, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. So we're called to work. A yoke is an image of work. It's on an oxen's back. Upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Does your soul need rest today? Do you need to make some hard choices? Do you need to enforce some boundaries? Do you need to step back and clarify your specific calling and mission? Do you need to embrace and value rest, the gift of God that he gives you? So the big idea this morning is this. Accept God's invitation to live differently. Pace matters. And if you'll pay attention to pace, if you'll be intentional about pace, then a life of clear purpose, restorative rest, and healing boundaries awaits. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, we want to offer our best yes to your calling on our lives. There are so many demands So many people want to grab hold of our schedule and have us work their agenda. Lord, we are apprentices to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to walk in his footsteps. We want to reflect his character, his values. We want how we handle our time and our money and our treasure and our talents and our families. We want it to reflect him and glorify you Lord, this is our prayer. Help us to be people who walk in powerful purposes to bring you honor. In the name of Jesus, amen.